Could family genetics be a reason that no matter what we try, we still can't lose the fat and inches from our problem areas? To learn more, we spoke to Dr. Brian Strand from Sonobello. While some people can eat everything and stay thin, others diet and exercise daily and still pack on fat and inches to their problem areas. It's not your fault. It can be genetics. If you struggle to lose the fat from your tummy, love handles, thighs, and back, you're likely battling your family genetics. The good news is we have an answer. Sonobello uses a remarkable technique called microlaser fat removal. In one comfortable visit, the fat in your hardest places to lose is gone permanently. Stop wrestling with your family genes and lose the fat permanently. And right now, you can save $250. The results are life-changing. Do this for you. Don't wait. Visit sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. Whether you're a skeptic or a believer, join me, Rob McConnell, as together we'll investigate the world of the paranormal and the science of parapsychology here on the Exxon Radio TV show on XZBN and the Exxon TV channel on Simul TV. Since 1990, the Exxon Radio TV show has been the place where people dare to believe and dare to be heard. Together, we'll investigate UFOs, aliens, ghosts, Bigfoot, psychic phenomena, lake monsters, conspiracy theories, government cover-ups, the truth embargo, alien abductions, ESP, haunted locations from around the world, and so much more. With over 28 years of broadcasting and more than 4,500 individual guests, The X-Zone is truly a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality, as evidenced by the credibility, integrity, and professionalism of the guests that we bring to our international audience. If you have seen a UFO, had a close encounter, seen a ghost, Bigfoot, lake monster, or a story that you would like to share or have investigated, contact me, Rob McConnell by sending me your email to xzone at xzoneradiotv.com or you can call toll-free 1-800-610-7035, extension 143, and on Skype, Exxon Radio TV. For more information on the Exxon Radio TV show with yours truly, Rob McConnell, visit www.exzoneradiotv.com or www.xzonetvchannel.com or simultv.com and xzbn.net. Until next we meet here in the Exxon from our broadcast center and studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Always remember Exxon Nation. Keep your eyes to the sky and your heart in the light. This is A Different Perspective with Kevin Randall. Kevin is a retired United States Army Lieutenant Colonel who has studied UFOs for more than 50 years. His military training has provided him with unique insight into military operations and UFO research. Kevin has investigated many of the most mysterious cases and has been consulted for dozens of documentaries and been interviewed on hundreds of radio and television programs about UFOs. Considered to be one of the leading experts on the Roswell UFO crash, Kevin has written more than 25 books about UFOs including Roswell in the 21st Century and Encounter in the Desert, a re-examination of the Socorro UFO landing. Now here's the host of A Different Perspective, Kevin Randall. And welcome to this edition of A Different Perspective. I'm Kevin Randall. In just a moment, I will be joined by Jim Penniston, who I'm sure a lot of you know about. I just wanted to do a mini rant here for a moment, because I sometimes do that now. <clears throat> and then what I wanted to talk about is how to become popular in the UFO field and be invited to all the conventions and everything else is to embrace everything. Crop circles? Yeah, because alien creatures who have conquered interstellar flight are incapable of communicating with us other than mashing crops in England, I guess. Cattle mutilations. Yes, because creatures who have a guess, taste for beef haven't figured out how to clone them and take them home. They have to come to Earth to pick the uh, parts up that they want. Or uh, even alien abduction, if you think about it in any 
logical sense, the logistics are simply impossible. And so because I sometimes say things like that, I am a debunker. So there you go. Anyway, I'm going to talk with Jim Peniston, who uh, has also been, I guess, accused of being somewhat of a debunker. And we'll get into that in just a moment. He's a uh, U.S. Air Force Security Forces um, NCO who is retired. He entered the Air Force in 1973 and served over 20 years active duty in the U.S. Air Force. He is, is, was assigned to the Strategic Air Command Elite Guard in Omaha, Nebraska, providing security for general officers, congressmen, foreign heads of state, and the president and uh, members of his cabinet. Penniston held his key assignments throughout the world, including service in Desert Shield, Desert Storm. He wrote Defense Security, Counterterrorism, and Counterinsurgency Plans for the U.S. Air Force and NATO. Additionally, he provided security support for the Air Force One and other classified aircraft weapon system. Pedersen held the majority of his 20-year career a top-secret BISCI and NATO top-secret Cosmic Atomal Security clearance. Sergeant Penniston and his team were the first responders to the security investigation of a craft of unknown origin located outside RFA Woodbridge, England, in December of 1980. The, in the 1970-1980 case, I'm going to have to slow down here and read this right. In December 1980, that case is known as the Rendlesham Forest Incident and is the most documented account in military history. Jim is a frequent lecturer and presenter at numerous, numerous MUFON and other related events and conferences of similar subject matter. A speaker of two, at two National Press Club events, his first responders account of the Rendlesham incident has been featured worldwide on numerous television and radio programs. In addition, Penniston has been a contributor to other books concerning the phenomenon, and his book, The Rendlesham Enigma, Book One Timeline, is available now, even as we speak on Amazon. Jim Penniston, welcome to A Different Perspective. Hello, Kevin. Thanks for having me on. I, I, I blundered my way through your biography, but I think we got it all. I know. It took so long, I think the show's over. Yes, thank you, Jim. It was nice <laughs> chatting with you. Talk to you later. My uh, God, I thought you would shorten it, Kevin. Uh, oh, I liked all the stuff in it, so I just figured I'd give you a really good buildup. Okay, and you know what? Uh, it's nice to have two skeptics going to talk about the Reynolds Forest incident. Well, let's 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 get to uh, something that I read not too long ago that caught my eye, and it said you actually were a an Air Force OSI Office of Special Investigation agent who had been assigned to discredit, provide disinformation on the Rendlesham Forest case. Uh, what do you think about that kind of nonsense? I think that's disinformation by itself. Uh, that's not true. Uh, no, I mean, Kevin, you know how it works with the military. You know, you have your specialty code, you know, your, with your, your AFSC or your MOS. And I've never worked for OSI in my life. Well, I just wanted you to say that because I thought it was just absolutely ridiculous. I knew that there was nothing in your background to suggest any kind of association with OSI other than maybe in kind of a, a cooperative liaison type role. Right. I, I mean, we might have, like during the Gulf War, you know, I did uh, counter um, uh, terrorism, you know, briefings for incoming forces with OSI. I mean, but that was something. No, that's just for wartime. And, and I've, I've said uh, repeatedly, you know, I, I actually can document an association with the CIA. And mm -hmm. what it boiled down to is when we were in Iraq, their compound and the FBI compound was co-located co with ours. And there was intelligence suggesting some kind of an insurgent attack, terrorist attack on our facility. And I had access to 600 soldiers. And, of course, the FBI and the CIA didn't. So I worked with them setting up the coordination for the guarding of our facilities. That was my association with the FBI, or the FBI and the CIA, mm -hmm. and, and is documented in my OER. So it's, you know, liaison with these people, which I always thought was kind of cool. I don't have documented evidence. I worked with the CIA <laughs> for what it's worth. Having been accused of that for years and years and years, I now can document it, I guess. Oh, my. Well, let's, let's get to Rendlesham Forest. I think you were one of the guys that went closest to the craft. You might have actually touched it. Tell me a little bit about how all that came about. Well, uh, under the status of forces agreements over there, I got dispatched to Eastgate. But under the SOFA, 
you know, you had to have an emergency situation off base. And well, uh, wait, wait, wait. Status of forces agreement. People aren't going to understand what that is. It means that our government and the English government, the British government have agreed to our being in their <clears throat> ballywick. And that, that there are things that we can do uh, that they agree to. So the status enforcement agreement is just an agreement between the, the United States and the British government to allow you guys to go off base, basically. Exactly. Uh, like, for example, you, we couldn't take you know, weapons off base, stuff like that. But there were certain caveats, certain conditions, emergency situations we could. And um, uh, by when I arrived at the East Gate, uh, you know, I, I, it appeared to be a fire in the in the uh, forest, uh, and so I uh, contacted the control center by you know direct line, and uh, they uh, ascertained like within I don't know uh, a couple of minutes uh, that uh, they lost contact with radar, lost contact with a bogey about 15 minutes prior over the Reynolds and Forest area. Wait, wait a minute. You said bogey, though. That was the first we heard about anything on radar. Uh, yeah, it was actually, it was, uh, the report was given by Sergeant uh, Coffey. He was the senior controller, and he had contacted uh, uh, Heathrow radar, uh, Bellwaters radar, and Eastern radar. And, and there, uh, some, some <clears throat> object was seen on the radar that was operating outside the normal parameters of a aircraft, either military or civilian? Well, it wasn't civilian because uh, it wasn't like a, uh, it didn't have a transponder. Uh, it was an active transponder on it. So it was uh, an aircraft blip that was lost, you know, over, over Bentwaters. Uh, it was there, I mean, and then gone. So that, uh, along with my uh, observation of what was going on in the forest, as far as what appeared to be a fire, uh, wasn't enough to cause an emergency situation to exist. And uh, the shift commander, Sergeant, or Sergeant, uh, Lieutenant uh, Baran, got a hold of the wing command post. That was our main control center. And then they, in turn, got a hold of Colonel Conrad and got permission to go off base. And uh, I assembled a team of two, uh, not my first pick, but uh, I wanted NCOs with me, <laughs> but I, I just didn't have enough uh, NCOs there. Um, well, uh, this is late at night, right? Oh, yeah, this is at uh, 12.06 uh, so in the morning. So you don't have access to an awful lot of people at this point? No, we had probably a total uh, security working, uh, maybe uh, 14 or 15 on Woodbridge. I think law enforcement had four. We all have that friend who wakes up early to go get everyone McDonald's breakfast while the rest of us sleep in. This is your sign to thank them. And if you're that friend, this is us saying thank you. Now get a sausage McMuffin, sausage biscuit, sausage burrito, or hash browns. Choose two for two fifty. Enjoy a large iced coffee for just two dollars. Price of participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Combo meal, single item at regular price. Uh, and then, of course, at, at Bellwaters, we had another 50, 60 cops over there, but uh, they were they were three miles away. So you're at Eastgate. And you've seen this um, light, this thing in the forest, which you think might be a fire, and you think it's related to maybe an aircraft accident or something like that? Right. I based that on, you know, at that time, I'd probably been to, I don't know, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24 aircraft crashes. I don't really know. Up there near uh, a few dozen. Uh, and it appeared to be a, a fire of some sort. I, I did ask the senior patrolman there, uh, I says, well, did you, did you see a crash? And he said, well, it didn't crash, it landed. And then, you know, that there was impossible because uh, the trees in Rendlesham there at the time and even today when they replant are, are only like, you know, four to six feet apart. And well, let, so, me, let me interrupt you again because I'm, I've got to take a break here, uh, which is necessary for some reason. I don't know. I, 
pretend to not know these things. I'm with Jim Pediston. His book is the Rendlesham Forest Enigma, book one, the timeline uh, from his perspective of what happened at Rendlesham Forest back in 1980. Uh, there will be more information available at www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com, uh, which I always put up after our interviews, uh, maybe providing a little different information about the uh, events that took place. We will be back right after this with Jim Penniston on a different perspective. So stick around. It's hard to listen to the news without realizing we're living in volatile, unprecedented times. Yet never has there been such an opportunity to transform the human condition. As old structures fail, where can we find the guidance to co-create a better way? Find Your Path Home is an ever-evolving, leading-edge information, education, and healing resource center designed to support and guide you on your path to unity and enlightenment. Based on sound principles employed by Shaman Worldwide, we provide techniques that can support you through the current transitions, offering online shamanic classes, international long-distance shamanic healing sessions, complimentary Mission Evolution radio episodes and Stairway to Heaven TV vignettes, seminars, retreats, and much more. All of this can be found on findyourpathhome.com. So I was watching the X-Zone TV channel last night when I was abducted by aliens and they kept repeating to me over and over again, Simultv.com, Simultv.com. What's Simultv.com? That's what I asked them. They had it written on the side of their UFO. How do you spell that? UFO. No, I mean Simultv.com. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. Right. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. Interesting that you were abducted by aliens in a Simultv.com UFO last night. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Now that you mention it, I remember now last night, I was awakened from a deep sleep. My great-grandmother was standing there. She said she'd come from the hereafter to tell me about Simultv.com. She even spelled it out for me. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com, sonny boy. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com, sonny boy. Wow. Yeah. Guys, you'll never guess what my psychic guru just told me. SIMULTV.com. Exactly. Are you guys psychic too? Of course. We all know about Simultv.com. SIMULTV.com. Path Home Shamanic Art School proudly presents the Gathering of Shaman 2019 Fall Retreat, Manifestation Samhain. Join me, Certified Shamanic Instructor Gwilda Wiecka, in the magnificent Colorado Mountains this November 2nd and 3rd for a life-changing event. Participate in unique teachings and ceremonies that will put the power and magic of shamanic manifestation into your hands. Sit in circle with like-minded individuals, sharing group energy and the power it generates. Classes will be held in a facility next to the beautiful, majestic Arkansas River, further empowering the experience. Space is limited, so reserve your spot today. For more information, visit findyourpathhome.com or email touchin at findyourpathhome.com. I am here with Jim Penniston. We're talking about the Rendlesham Forest case. Uh, When we left, he was standing by at East Gate which is, uh, I guess, access to the Rendlesham Forest area. They were wondering if there's some kind of an aircraft accident or something on fire in the woods. So, uh, And he's just been told by one of the, I guess, airmen that something had landed, and he was pointing out that they really couldn't land given the uh, density of the forest. So, Jim, you're at the gate. What do you do? Uh, at the East Gate, there's a direct line that goes to the Law Enforcement uh, Control Center. And But since I arrived there, and uh, it was no longer a law enforcement function, it, it was now a security function, uh, they call that chopping, change of operational command and control. And uh, so they patched me through to the security control center. 
And you know how that works, Kevin. I mean, as soon as they, they pick up the line uh, uh, to report, I mean, you got like five guys on there, and they're all doing stuff instantaneously. They're all doing their jobs. And so this whole thing took about a minute or two, and I uh, got confirmation that there was a, uh, uh, a bogey on radar that was lost 15 minutes prior. And so there, there was an emergency situation. They gave me permission to go ahead and uh, uh, deploy off base, uh, mainly to set up the entry control point, which uh, for the uh, first responders and that, to the crash site. And so inside our, our vehicles, we had a CJ-5 at the time. We have a, uh, already uh, a pre-positioned uh, air, uh, aircraft uh, crash kit. I mean, it has all the stuff you need, plotting boards, uh, binoculars, uh, uh, camera, you know, things like that. So uh, that was with, with me when we deployed. Uh, well, I well, went... uh, here's, a question, here's a question I have for you. There, uh, there were three <laughs> nights of the event that took place there at when it rendles from force. Which night are we on now? Are we at the first night? That's the only night I know of. Okay, so this is the one I mean, when no, you... Firsthand, I mean, everything else is uh, all hearsay for me. I wasn't involved okay. with it. Yeah. So, so this is one night. Um, we're not worried about the, the exact sequencing here. You're at the gate. You've got your equipment. You're going to deploy into the forest. Set up the axis, I guess, for the first responders, which you're, you're busy doing. What did you see when you got off base? Uh, well, when, when I set up the entry control point, uh, you know, I'm probably about 100, you know, 100 feet, 150 feet from the forest edge. It was cut way back at the time, so it doesn't look anything like it does today. And um, I was having a radio difficulty, but uh, uh, I had the security airman. I had him. Uh, he was the only other guy who had a radio, myself and him. And uh, I set him up for the entry control point. I made, I, we set the, you know, we plotted it into central security control. And then by that time, uh, the uh, flight chief from uh, Bentwaters has arrived at the uh, East Gate. And uh, because they needed somebody there, we didn't have a, no one in, in charge of the security forces until then in my absence. And uh, so uh, he was, uh, he could hear, uh, the security airman just fine. Uh, so the radios were breaking down, which was impossible because of, we had a repeater system on both of the bases. There's just no way you could have bad, uh, you know, radio interference. And so he was also going to relay information for me as I proceeded to the crash site. Uh, at that time, I implemented uh, a security response option for aircraft crash. So I'm going through my checklist on an aircraft crash, setting up the entry control point, calling in, going through the steps. And so I proceed then with the uh, law enforcement airmen, and um, we uh, get to the forest edge, and it's apparent that it's not an aircraft crash. Uh, the, uh, there's a bright light coming out of it, and uh, out of the forest. So could I, you see could you see an object or anything, or is it just a bright light that you're looking no, at? No, it, it was just a, a very very intense white light, and uh, so I terminated the uh, uh, security response option for aircraft crash, and I implemented the helping hand situation, uh, which is a, it's a, a security uh, up channel report uh, done by radio of a possible hostile th uh, threat to a priority A, B, and C resources of the base. And what, 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 when, you, when you're talking about priority resources in the base, what are you talking about? You're talking about the atomic weapons? You're talking about weapons? What exactly are you talking well, about? Yeah, priority A weapons. Uh, it could be the aircraft, uh, the A-10s that were there. We had five uh, squadrons of A-10s. Uh, and, you know, we're not talking about the, the personnel. That there was 10,000 personnel on the twin bases with uh, dependents and all that. But we're talking, you know, about the resources that the base used to support it's war efforts. So, so you're now looking at some kind of a hostile threat as opposed to a, a, an aircraft accident. Right. Uh, it was definitely not an aircraft crash. I determined that. And so, upon and the other thing is, at this time, I'm not, re, I'm not getting any response back on the radio from CSC, but I'm, I'm hearing uh, the security airmen saying they're copying, they're copying. So I know that 
that my transmissions are being heard. I just can't hear them. Got another question in there, Kev? <laughs> I thought you were going to go on. No, I can go. This is not the night that uh, Charles Halt was involved in, is it? Was he there? Does he uh, show up later? No, he, that was uh, uh, two nights later. Okay, so this is the first night of the events, then. Well, yeah, the way the the, the way the, the halt situation happened is, uh, you know, the, the following morning after this incident, uh, of course, you know, the the base uh, command is they have a lot of questions. So well, let's let's go back. Let's go back. You're at the I, because we really haven't discussed what was in the forest, and that's kind of well, what I'm interested in here. You you're down there. You've you've changed the um, coding and everything to to stop some of the um, assets from deploying. You're looking at a bright light in the forest. Do you move forward toward it? Uh, what, what do you do? Well, the light starts dissipating down. So as I start moving toward it, uh, I'm, uh, I have the air, the uh, law enforcement room about 25 feet to my right rear. And as I started moving toward it, I was finding there was a physical effect as I got close to the berm. And there was a berm of earth that was covering, uh, that was uh, hindering my sight to over you know it was behind that and it started to dissipate down but i was having like uh, physical effects from it like with uh, uh static electricity on my uh, face skin hair clothes uh and i was also finding my movements uh walking or labor uh like walking maybe through a pool of water a waist that's waist high or something like that and uh, then there was also absolutely no sound. There was uh, no... Um, uh, uh, Animal noises? No, 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 no noise at all. Uh, I, I mean, I couldn't hear my, uh, my footsteps on the forest floor. Now, when you say a berm, I mean, that's kind of like a, a ridge line or something that you had to walk up to, to see, or uh, how tall how, how was that? It's earthen. Uh, it's earthen uh, uh, that they're they're made uh, because the forest is cut regularly like a crop, and what they do is they they raise the trees for like ten years and they cut them, and anyway they're 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 placed inside those berms, and they they stand about four to five feet high, and you have to start walking up them, which I did, and as I walked up the the berm, one berm, the light has been dissipated enough, where there was just. Uh, uh, a craft appeared. It, it started to appear, and as the light dissipated, I could see the craft more. And there was a uh, finally the the light dissipated, where just a little bit of light coming from underneath the craft, uh, white light, and there was colored light running through it, and that finally started slowing down, and that dissipated too. So all I had in front of me was opaque, black, triangular craft. So you're seeing an actual craft now. Yes, and it's, and it's black as opposed to brightly lighted. There's there's lights around it, but the craft itself is not lighted. Uh, there was no at that point the craft was not lighted, but there was light emanating from underneath it. Uh, not not a lot, but I tell you what, the forest there uh, is completely pitch black at night, and I didn't need a flashlight or nothing like that. I had enough lighting <laughs> to see what was going on from the craft itself. Was and, was the was the light flashing at all? Was it a steady light? Just uh, you said it was very bright, and then it sort of dimmed down. Did, no. did it have any kind of pulsation? No, no. It just uh, it was a constant light, and then it started to dissipate down, getting smaller until you could see the, the the structure of the craft itself. Well, the reason I asked that is because, of course, you know, some of the skeptics have said what you guys were actually seeing was a lighthouse some distance away, and there was the rotating light in there that uh, you had mistaken for this craft. Uh, what do you say to that? Well, I say that that was uh, that report is caused by the uh, law enforcement airman when he wrote his report. He actually, uh, uh, after the craft had taken off, he actually uh, uh, said he reacquired it and took off uh, after it. And uh, I started chasing him. I mean, it blew our two command concept all to hell. And so I started chasing him to stay up with him. And then we get maybe another, you know, 250 yards, you know, past the, uh, the field, the farmer's field, and, and down past the farmhouse. And he finally stops and, 
And I, I said, well, what are you chasing? He says, he says, he says, the UFO. And I says, where? And he says, over there. And he points over to the uh, uh, north uh, east. And I said, where? And so I looked down his arm. I said, well, let me let me break in here because I'm going to have to do that. Uh, right. We will be back right after this with Jim Pettiston. We're talking about the Rendlesham Forest Landing. We've got him close to the craft. Uh, we've got some information going on. His book is the Rendlesham Enigma Book One Timeline. And of course, you can always visit www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com. We will be back right after this. So please stick around. a skeptic or a believer join me rob mcconnell as together we'll investigate the world of the paranormal and the science of parapsychology here on the exxon radio tv show on xzbn and the exxon tv channel on simul tv since 1990 the exxon radio tv show has been the place where people dare to believe and dare to be heard together we'll investigate ufos aliens ghosts bigfoot psychic phenomena, lake monsters, conspiracy theories, government cover-ups, the truth embargo, alien abductions, ESP, haunted locations from around the world, and so much more. With over 28 years of broadcasting and more than 4,500 individual guests, The X-Zone is truly a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality, as evidenced by the credibility, integrity, and professionalism of the guests that we bring to our international audience. If you have seen a UFO, had a close encounter, seen a ghost, Bigfoot, lake monster, or a story that you would like to share or have investigated, contact me, Rob McConnell, by sending me your email to xzone at xzoneradiotv.com or you can call toll-free 1-800-610-7035, extension 143, and on Skype, Exxon Radio TV. For more information on the Exxon Radio TV show with yours truly, Rob McConnell, visit www.exxoneradiotv.com or www.exxonetvchannel.com or simultv.com and xzbn.net. Until next we meet here in the Exxon from our broadcast center and studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Always remember Exxon Nation, keep your eyes to the sky and your heart in the light. I am joined by Jim Pettiston. We're talking Rendlesham Forest, the Bentwaters case uh, from December of 1980. Uh, when we left, I guess you had an airman chasing the lighthouse, which is, explains how that entered into the conversation. I wanted uh, to move. I want to move back now to the point where you approach the craft, don't you? I uh, yeah. I uh, my I'm, by that time my uh, film is expelled from my camera. I mean, it's the old. We had film at the time, 35 millimeter, and I shot all my, my pictures, which wouldn't have made no difference anyway. They wouldn't have turned out. Uh, so, uh, yeah, so I uh, all I had to do is I wasn't still wasn't sure if it was hostile or not. I uh, I was also had a mixed emotions. I mean, I was in awe, I was afraid, I mean, all kinds of things. And... Um, so I, I did what I best could do. I kept my radio checks up, uh, even though I wasn't hearing anything. And uh, so then I uh, started uh, to do as much note-taking as I could with it, uh, in case I didn't survive. At least we'd have a written record, you know, for the command element. And uh, so, you know, I did the things I could do out there. I was looking for things uh, with the craft that aircraft must have to fly. I mean, simple things like intake, exhaust, um, crew compartment at the time, we didn't have drones, um, you know, flaps, aerions, things like that. It was a void to all those things. 
And then there was still that light underneath the crack. And I was like, I was wondering how can this thing, you know, be, you know, standing here fixed above the ground. So I look underneath it and I still see this dull white bluish light. <clears throat> how, how far away are you from it? Uh, I'm leaning on it. So you're touching it. Yeah. So you're right up next to it. I'm right up next to it. I got my, you know, I'm looking underneath it. I can see the indentions in the ground but there's no landing gear. And so, you know, even if you had an automobile out there uh, and you want to push it, you would, it moves some, an inch, a half inch, something. And this is, this is completely solid. It did not move at all. How, how big is it? How big is it? How tall? Well, well I, uh, well, I'm six foot two and I would say it's about between six and a half feet, maybe seven. I couldn't really tell because it was a little bit of the berms. I was still a little bit on a berm. Uh, but it's around that height. Uh, I paced off uh, uh, the length of it, my, you know, I, my, my, my gait, uh, anyway, of uh, walking is about three feet, so it came out to about nine feet long, and it was equal on all sides. So it's, uh, not, it's not that huge a thing? No, no, it wasn't. And uh, it had, it had a, what I call dorsal fin, and, you know, like it, it went up. Uh, from the craft uh, toward the back, and uh, that was uh, that went up to about six half feet, seven feet high. The rest of the craft was probably just a little bit uh, uh, above waist high. Well, yeah, I'm I'm a little confused here. Uh, didn't okay. in your didn't in your first reports or in the first interviews that you had, had given about that, didn't it wasn't it suggested you hadn't gotten quite that close to it, or well, am I, I mistaken? You're talking about the. Uh, uh, the uh, cover story by the Air Force. Okay. Okay. Yes, that's what they said. But there, but you the, always you there, always knew there was no been much closer. There is no statement signed by me that's public that says anything other than what I'm telling you right now. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah, the rest of it is. Uh, I think they have an unsigned statement going around, which is actually part of the cover story inside the book. Rendlesham Negan will explain all that. Matter of fact, the actual encounter itself, um, the investigation the first night is two full chapters, almost 100 pages. So uh, it's pretty detailed. So you're, you're saying that, well, you obviously were interrogated by somebody at the, after the event, right? I was debriefed, yes. Uh, debriefed, interrogated. Uh, do you know who conducted the, the debriefing, the debriefing? Yeah. Uh, well, everybody, just about. <laughs> the uh, the first one, uh, you know, I got called to go down on Monday morning. Uh, it was down at the OSI building. It wasn't on the agents because I knew those people. There were like nine of them that we knew. Uh, there was a couple other uh, people in suits. They all wore suits um, that were there. And uh, one was... Uh, American. The other one had a, I would say, a British accent. Could have been Australian. I'm not sure. Um, but uh, yeah, they took my. Uh, I wrote a full statement down there, uh, uh, four uh, pages of legal paper. I wrote that out, and uh, then they uh, took it and they came back and they retyped it and they something that was four pages that I signed, and I told everything. I told everything in that one because they told me just tell them tell them everything and it goes away i said okay that's what i want and um so when they bring it back the statement that's out there says you don't get within 50 it's generic you don't get within uh, you know more than 50 meters it's written like that 50 meters i don't even use meters i mean that's you can tell it's written by some of this british color was spelt like the british spell it in there and it was pretty generic. It was only a half page uh, long. And uh, I was instructed by them that it was an active Air Force, or no, it was an active investigation. And uh, anybody that asks about this in the future, uh, I'm supposed to uh, give them this cover story, which and, is pretty that's generic. What, that's what you did, right? You, I you did. Gave I, we, you know, a few hours later, I'm in uh, the base commander's office, the wing commander's office, and I'm telling them that cover story. 
Okay, so, well, then I've, I've kind of screwed up the, the chronology here, and I didn't mean to do that. Uh, but you're right up next to the craft. Did you have a uh, feeling of any entities around or anything like that? Did you see anything like that? No, it would, uh, no first of all, it was just too small, I mean, uh, to be manned. Uh, but and when I came back around, I, I seen on, on the side of the craft, I could see uh, some type of, uh, you know, writing on it. You know, I, I, at that point, I felt a little bit relieved because you know, I was going to say NASA or, you know, U.S. Air Force, something. And um, when I got closer to what it was, is pictorial gly uh, glyphs that were, uh, I'm using that term because I don't know what else to call them, uh, that were on the side of the craft. And they stretched out about three feet. They were about four to five inches high. Uh, then there was a top of them. There was another uh, uh, etched in um, symbol, which was a triangle with a big circle around it and some smaller circles. And uh, uh, the, when I touched the, uh, the, the glyphs, you know, it went from an ultra smooth uh, uh, surface to a feeling like maybe sandpaper, like they were etched in there. I went and did a second 360 around, and I was fascinated by the glyphs. And uh, so I recorded all them in my notebook, and uh, then I went and touched the top one, which was this triangular one, and a brilliant white light just encompassed everything. I couldn't see anything. All I could see was that it, if I had to compare the light to uh, uh, like flash bulbs, okay? Remember the old flash bulbs? They were that bright. and. Uh, I don't know how many seconds I had my hand on that uh, uh, symbol, but I sort of gained my wits and I just lift my hand off and it was and the light was gone again. And I'm using the term light. It's wrong. It's not light. That's the only word I can use to describe it. And I know it wasn't light because I automatically had my night vision, which normally would take another, you know, 30 to 40 minutes to regain. And I had it. So it wasn't light, but... Uh, that's a term I'm going to use to make everybody understand it a little bit better. How long? How long were you in close contact with uh, with the craft? Uh, we had uh, well, I had electronic watch on at timers like, and the, that the uh, the field around there obviously stopped the time on the on the watch. It was off by 45 minutes. So with that, I conclude I was at the craft for 45 minutes. Where was this airman that you were with, your your battle buddy, as we used to call it? He's outside this uh, sphere of influence, uh, right around the craft. Uh, he's outside of it, um, and he's emotionless. And not what, does he, what does he say about this? I mean, you must have discussed it with him afterwards. No, we didn't discuss anything afterwards about it. Uh, he was... He was like wondering, what are we going to say? What are we going to say? What are we going to say? What, 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 what? That's you ain't going to say nothing. I said, I'm, gonna, <laughs> I'm the one that's going to be doing the talking here. <laughs> You're not going to say nothing. You write your statement or whatever you got to do, but uh, I'm going to be doing the recording. And and he's the one that took off toward the the lighthouse, I guess. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, after, yeah, I don't know what I, what it was to see. Once, once the, the craft started generating more light, you know, I hit the ground. Uh, it moved uh, back through the trees. Now remember, it can't move back through those trees because it's nine feet wide, and the trees are only five, you know, five, six feet planted. So that's impossible. But it did it, and then lifted up to the canopy of the uh, forest, and it took off. And uh, when that happened, I hear the branches of him behind me, and he runs up beside me, and he apparently reacquires it. I don't know how the forest is pitch black. And uh, he takes off, and I took off after him. And we got to a certain point, and he was he's pointing out what he was chasing. And I said, well, that's the lighthouse over at Orphan Nest. I mean, it was so dim, you could already see it anyway. And uh, then uh, reacquired it over Cable Green area, and it sort of made a momentary turn, and then it just headed out over the North Sea. And well, let me stop you here, because I've got to take a break. I am here with Jim Pettison. We're talking about the uh, Bentwaters, the Rendlesham Forest events. His book is The Rendlesham Enigma, Book One Timeline, and I will have additional information 
or places to look for additional information at my blog, which is www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com. And I have just a multitude of questions left, and I'm sure we're not going to be able to get to them, but we'll do the best we can in the uh, final segment coming up here in just a minute. So uh, stick around. If you are looking for a safe, zero-calorie, natural option to the harmful artificial sweeteners on the market today, Just Like Sugar is what you're looking for. Just Like Sugar is a wonderful natural alternative for those health-conscious people who choose a calorie-restricted diet with a great, pure, sweet flavor that tastes just like sugar. Just Like Sugar is a great natural option for people suffering from diabetes and may be useful in restricted diet programs where standard sugars are not allowed and does not cause a laxative effect of some other sweeteners. Just Like Sugar comprises a perfect blend of chicory root fiber, natural calcium, natural vitamin C, and Just Like Sugar's sweetness comes from the natural flavors from the peel of the orange. Just Like Sugar is a natural alternative to harmful artificial sweeteners and will change the way that you believe all natural sweetener products taste. Just Like Sugar is available at your local Whole Foods markets, Wild Oats markets, Henry's, Sun Harvest, and many other fine natural food stores in the U.S., Canada, and worldwide. They are here, and they've been here for thousands of years, making their presence known in the shadows. They might be seen by a lonely motorist on a deserted road late at night, or by a frightened and confused husband in the bedroom he is sharing with his wife. But who are they? What do they want? Why are they here? Perhaps most concerning, has the government been aware of their presence all along? The new book by Ellie Marzulli, UFO Disclosure, The 70-Year Cover-Up Exposed, delves into the world of UFOs. Can full disclosure be soon? Order now and receive a free hour and 37-minute DVD on the UFO phenomenon, UFOs Are Real. Get both the book and the DVD, a $40 value, for only $19.99. To order your book and DVD today, go to lamarzuli.net. That's L-A-M-A-R-Z-U-L-L-I dot net. You have heard of the X-Zone? Now watch it on Simo TV, plus 500 video games, live TV channels, free video on demand, worldwide, and more. Does this sound like tomorrow's television? Well, it is, but you can have it today, right now. It is Simul TV. Simul TV offers what the others only wish they could provide 15 exclusive channels like Exxon, Sci Fi, and Horror. We are worldwide. No other provider offers that. 500 built in video games. No need to have an extra expensive system. We have them included. Free video on demand. Live streaming events from around the world, interactive online network, and much more. Tomorrow's TV today, Simul TV. Sound too good to be true? Well, it's not. You can have Simul TV today. Sign up at simultv.com. Do it today. Memorable dynamic presentations are a not so secret weapon in the business world. Do you have a powerful message that must be shared, but you haven't found a way to deliver that message? Do you want to be known as a top public speaker who gets amazing results? Are you ready to create and deliver your powerful message? Thomas Hides can help you create and deliver your speech to get the results you desire. Visit IconQuality.com. Did you expect your business to flourish, but instead it plateaued or didn't get off the ground yet? Would you like to achieve massive goals and discover new sources of income within your business? When you're ready to experience that type of success with fast results, Cindy Hendricks is the business coach for you. Her work with entrepreneurs and business owners has been life-changing. To get you and your business where you want to be, go to imaginemoresuccess.com. Has the fear of public speaking stalled your business or personal life? What would you give to develop and maintain supreme confidence? Have an invaluable private program to always perform at your best. Imagine how you would feel. 
You can have all that and so much more today with Thomas Hyde's life-changing course called Number One Fear Unleashed. Visit NumberOneFear.com and be liberated from your fear of public speaking. I'm joined by Jim Penniston. We're talking about the Rendlesham Forest. His book is the Rendlesham Forest Enigma, book one, Timeline. It's available to Amazon for those of you who'd like to take a look at that. Uh, when we left, um, we were talking, I guess the um, battle buddy with, with, with you had uh, acquired the lighthouse. The craft had lifted off and disappeared into the sky. Uh, what did you guys do at that point? Did you retreat back to East Gate? Uh, were there other people that are around you that saw things? What, what exactly happened then? Well, we, you know, I had radio contact then, and I could uh, receive... And so, uh, you know, they said, uh, told us to go back to East Gate. So we proceeded back there. I mean, Kevin, this 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 accounting of Bell, or the uh, Reynolds Forest incident, it's it, I'm leaving out 98% of it. <laughs> oh, I understand that. And, <laughs> okay, and it's so much, leave I'm leaving out. I yeah, mean, uh, well, was there physical evidence left behind? There's a question. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, everything from the trees, uh, the radiation. The radiation, as a matter of fact, that's <laughs> what Monroe Nevels did. Uh, the, that morning, he was ordered out by Colonel Conrad, which no one else knows. It's in the book. The book is nothing but unknown. 85% of the book is not known to the public or a lot of witnesses. Okay, so uh, anyway, Monroe Neville was went out the next, uh, that morning by order of Colonel Conrad. He did an investigation. The radiation, he yeah, was part of the physical uh, beta radiation around, just at the landing area. That's the only place there was radiation. And radiation where it went up through the trees and as far as he could go. And then the rest were broken branches on them. So we so had the trees, the trees had been damaged as the thing like lifted it, off or landed. Yeah. And we had that uh, uh, there. We also had the indentions in the ground. And we also had the radar tapes. And then we also, the most important part was that our wing command post used to have a TIAC reel to reel. And what that would do is record all radio conversations for uh, security, fire department, you know, everybody. Well, we're, and, we're talking about a tape recorder here, just for those of you who may not be familiar with the terminology. Yeah, thank you, TIAC. <laughs> no one knows what the real real uh, Yes. Anyway, so those they, they run for like 48 hours. Anyway, when I get back to CSC, I find out from the senior controller, they heard everything. They heard everything by report around the craft. They heard it all. So, uh, but that also means there was a tape. That audio tape is probably the most important tape with Rundlesham. And that is the audio tape that uh, uh, General Gabriel came in and picked up uh, 48, within 48 hours. We're so. not talking about the, vi the, the audio tape that uh, Colonel Halt made. We're talking about a different tape. That what We're talking about the most important audio tape ever. It's the one that had the radio transmissions from the first night. And that's from the wing command post. That is probably the most important tape with Rendlesham. And that tape has never surfaced. Uh, no, that's I'm sure that's top secret. Uh, General Gabriel, the uh, Sink Sac or Sink Usafe. Uh, uh, that's a commander commander in chief. For those of you who don't understand military acronyms. Yeah, he came in personally and got it. And I tell you what, uh, why would a four star general do that? Well, probably because he's ordered to by somebody over him. And uh, that's uh, that's an assumption, but I'm sure I know for a fact the information went to uh, that my statement. I know my statement definitely went to the uh, air, air staff at the Pentagon because I had correlating uh, uh, evidence with that later. Uh, uh, I, I talk about a lot of things in this book. Uh, I talk about the Air Force lifeline. They didn't leave me high and dry. No, they took care of me. They sent they sent a colonel out. They sent a colonel out. He took over as uh, squadron commander. Uh, took over as for a major. <laughs> so you know the slot is not even right with a lieutenant colonel there. And the first day he's there, he calls me up to his office, and he tells me I you know I thought he was going I was implying some programs in, and <clears throat> and I thought he wanted to know about you know, some of our war missions and stuff that we had to do. And he shuts all the doors and he says, <coughs> he says, um, have a seat. He says, he says, uh, my name is Colonel Highbush. And he says, uh, I worked at the Pentagon. I read, this, I read your statement. 
He said, I know all about the, the incident, and I'm here as you, if you ever have a problem or if you ever need to talk to anybody. And he was with me my entire career. I had access to him. And so that's the book. The whole book is giving you the evidence, and we back it up sometimes five to seven levels deep with testimony of all the people that were involved. And uh, at the end of the 702 pages, we want the reader to make up their own mind about it. We're not trying to convince them. We're just trying to present the information true. And it's the first time, I, I think, in 39 years, the actual definitive book was ever written because everything in there is fact and it's unknown, 85% of it. Let me let me break in here because I have uh, I wanted to, to explore this. Four-star general coming and pick up a tape, something that a second lieutenant could do. Yes. Uh, you know. <laughs> Classified couriers are normally uh, high-ranking NCOs or, or lower-ranking officers, certainly not field well, yeah, agents. Yeah, a lieutenant, a captain, maybe. Uh. <laughs> yeah, you can send him in to pick up the tape, but the four-star general comes to pick it up. It's suggestive of something of great importance because I mean, the general wouldn't charge, waste his time. Yeah, he's in charge of all U.S. Air Forces Europe. I mean, I think he's got other things to do. And you have no clue where the tape went, other than probably mm -hmm. the Pentagon somewhere. Uh, I'm sure it went to the Pentagon um, uh, because my statement, the four-page one I wrote, that's the one that Colonel Highwish was talking to me about, and he read it, and he didn't. So uh, that means if that was there, most likely the tape was there, too. Well, let me uh, take another swipe at this here. So you were there what undoubtedly was the first night. There was events on a second night, I think, that involved just a couple of people, not well, not well, not well publicized. And then there was a third night involved uh, John Burroughs and uh, Colonel Halt right. and some other people. All right, uh, here's the confusion. We lay out the timeline so you won't have that confusion anymore. But uh, uh, the morning when Sergeant Nevels went out there, he was out there all day, uh, and then that extended up to uh, that night in the early morning of the. Uh, uh, of the second day or third day, I believe it was the third day. And um, so he, there was a daylight investigation. Then he went over to, and got to the uh, uh, Woodbridge uh, and talked to Colonel Conrad and some of the other officers there. Colonel Conrad sent him back out along with Colonel Halt, and uh, they went out and investigated uh, uh, further because they, Colonel Conrad wanted you know, more information on it. But, uh, yeah, it's uh, the, the actual investigation will, will surprise you. I'll let you right know uh, uh, Colonel Hall had a problem with uh, uh, Chapter 6, which is Monroe Neville's accounting. I mean, yes. it's 95% the same <laughs> out there. It's just the behind-scenes stuff isn't uh, like Colonel Hall's uh, would like it to be. But you know how it works, Kevin. You have eyewitnesses. They're not 100% the same. I mean, they they look at things, and yeah, as long as you're getting 95% of it right, it's good enough for me. Anyway, Monroe Nevels wrote Chapter 6, and and Colonel Hall did call me up, and, and we did talk about it, and I said, well, that's his account. And I says, uh, and, and we were fair. We put his accounting in it, too, so... Uh, does, you know, does Colonel Hall object to much of what's in your book, or is he just... Well, that was it. <laughs> I was going to say it's just kind of that, um, but so you weren't out there. You were not out there with Halt and Burroughs on that night where Halt made his uh, tape recording. No, uh, everything I know about that night is hearsay. Did you heard from Burroughs and Halt and, and the people who were involved? Well, I heard it from Monroe Nevels, the disaster preparedness guy that was there with him, uh, Lieutenant England, uh, uh, Colonel Halt. Uh, I never heard from Burroughs. He never did tell me. Um, so he, he just, he would never tell me. Okay. So um, your uh, involvement was on the first night. Now, you, I, I don't have much time night, left. Why the, first night was, the first night was contact night. That's the only night it landed. Okay. And. You well, you obviously approached it. You touched it. Now I understand, and I, I hesitate to bring this up because I just have like a minute left here. Uh, but you've undergone some hypnotic regression to recover additional memories. Or is there anything that no. changed from from? No, 
You no, have not. I, in 1994, I went because I had a sleep disorder. My doctor, uh, it was a referral. I went and did it. They had nothing to do with ufology or nothing. It was for oh, a sleep okay. disorder. Okay. And that, under the hypnosis, uh, it was discovered that it, the problem was the Reynolds Forest incident. And I'll tell you what, my doctor, and this is a real doctor, uh, she. Uh, uh, at the time, was uh, she taped it for her own notes. She gave me those notes. I mean, today you wouldn't do that because of, you're fearful of getting sued. But so I have the uh, complete hypnosis of four and a half hours. There's two sessions. Well, Jim, so, I gotta I gotta interrupt you here because I'm out of time, and and there's so many uh, other things that. Uh, becoming clearer, at least in my mind, and, and certainly confusing in, in other parts of it about the, the whole event. I'll tell you um, what, Kev, I'm going to get you, I'll tell you what, after the show, uh, send me your uh, address, I'm going to send you a copy of the book, and I want you to read it. Great, I'd love to have that, thank you okay. very much. Uh, Jim Penniston, the book is The Rendlesham Forest Enigma, book one timeline. He was one of the people that were directly involved in the events there at Rendlesham Forest, unlike uh, many other people that we've talked about this. Um, I will uh, have some additional information, I hope, at uh, my blog, www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com. And I'm always a little bit, um, uh, I guess, lax in suggesting that there's uh, many fine programs on the X-Zone Broadcast Network uh, dealing with all sorts of different topics. And I'm sure that there's something that's going to interest everybody. So you take a look at xzbn.net uh, for information and programs that will um uh, spark your interest, I suppose. I will be back in about 167 hours with another episode of A Different Perspective, taken from A Different Perspective. Uh, so I'll talk to you then. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs>